Hi, welcome to Broadway Assembly Church Podcast. We are excited for you to be joining us today. If you want to get a notification of the most recent uploads, please subscribe to our podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. So this morning we spent some time there. We're going to go back there, Lord willing, here in a moment. Let me remind you, brothers, um, those that are planning to attend the Men of Faith event in uh, Southern Ohio, Brother Jason texted me and said, get them, get them to sign up early. So early register it uh, by August the 5th, and you'll be entered into a drawing for a $500 Cabela's card, gift card. So if you're interested in going, I know some of our guys, we plan on going down. So um, get online and get registered by August the 5th, and you'll be entered into that $500 uh, gift card to Cabela's drawing, all right? Praise the Lord. Wednesday night back here in the house of the Lord. Isn't he good? Praise the Lord. All right, so we're going to uh, the topic tonight, Positioned for Victory, Part 2. Okay, we'll see if we can get through this. Psalm 1, we're going to read once again. We didn't get out of the first three verses, so we're going to go back and read the first three verses tonight. If you have your Bibles, follow along. Let's read it in concert, an audible voice. Also, I believe the text is provided on the screens. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Why don't you raise your hands and let's invite the presence of the Lord to come. Speak to us from his word tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you. We have experienced your presence already in this worship place. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this psalm tonight that we're going to take a look at once again. I pray that you will anoint me. I pray that our ears would be anointed to hear your voice, our hearts open to know your word, and Lord, our mind to be enlightened. Hallelujah. Touch us tonight, Lord. Anoint my feeble efforts. And Lord, just uh, share with us your perfect presence tonight in a special way. And all God's children say amen. 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 God bless you. You can be seated. Praise the Lord. Recently, I uh, was amazed at the resiliency of some weeds at my house. Our house sits on a double lot, which is a good thing as far as having a little more elbow room than our previous home, but the problem now is, is weed control. Um, I went to pull some the other day, and Andrew said, Dad, why are you pulling them? Why don't you just spray them? And I said, I tried. I tried. I use a lot of Roundup or whatever it is to kill weeds. I'm sorry if you're a weed lover here tonight. Every spring... Uh, I wage war on the dandelions, right? How many know what I'm talking about? 
And that's the problem every spring. You'd think at some point the war would be won and I would be the winner. And the war would be over, but it's not. You know, those, those bottles of weed killer promises, killing the roots. Don't believe it. False advertisement. Now, I understand some do. some reason, mine don't. Because the weeds in our lawn just keep coming back. Sure, the roundup or what have you stunts their progress. But how many's found out it's hard to kill some weeds? Even when you think they've been permanently nuked, life finds a way. The miracle of life keeps rising and keeps pushing up and, and green things like weeds and grass and trees are always growing. And, and you know, it's been asked, how tall does a tree grow? And the answer is, as tall as it can. All a tree knows to do is grow, right? Growth is a tree's default mode. And I, 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 a tree that's properly planted is progressing continually, and as should all believers. And here in Psalm 1, the writer compares believers to trees, and this morning we noted where this tree was positioned. How many remember where it's positioned? It's positioned near the water, near the river of water. We talked about how position, and then association, and then proximity, approximation, how all three of those matter. Tonight, we're going to just look at how growth matters. Because a person, a blessed person, plants their life, sinks their roots in a place that's conducive for them to grow. And they position themselves by a stream of spiritual nourishment, a stream of spiritual refreshment. And if you desire to be a healthy, blessed believer, the psalmist is implying, you're going to make sure you're in the right position spiritually. But that's... That's why you can progress continually and produce annually, all right? And now I mentioned that. That's the other two points that I mentioned this morning. And so if you closely inspect a tree, you'll find that most of them have younger, smaller branches, or some call it shoots, because the root affects the shoot, and apparently this tree planted by the river here in the text is strong. It's vibrant. It's resilient. It goes on to say it never wilts. Its leaf never, never withers. Wouldn't that be great? I've seen some believers that wither. Pastor didn't shake my hand. Wither. Hello. They didn't sing the song I requested, Wither. No, this tree never wilts. It never withers. It's evergreen. It bears fruit 
every season. Wouldn't that be great? It grows constantly. This tree avoids periods of dormancy. It is thriving year-round. The sap is always flowing. The tree is always growing. Its roots are twisting their way further into the soil. Its shoots are preparing to bud. Its limbs are often weighed down with delicious, juicy, tasty fruit. Even when the winds blow, even when the branches bear the weight of snow and ice, this tree continues to thrive. Hello. I want to be that kind of tree. Right? Now, how many know this is God's desire for us? Not only that we're positioned properly, like we spoke about this morning, but that we're progressing continually. And when we surrender to Christ at, at salvation, how many know we become what uh, Paul in the New Testament would call babes of faith. You become a babe in the faith. Yeah. We become spiritual infants. But how many know we are not expected to stay that way? Nowhere in the Bible does it mention pacifiers. Nowhere in the Bible does it mention teething toys or building blocks, or sippy cups, or what our oldest son got attached to, his blankie. Right? How many know there's not going to be a sippy cup in heaven? Now, Brother Tim, if I meet you in heaven and I see you got your teething ring, I'm going to know I, I failed you as a pastor. Right? Because somewhere between our coming to Christ and our going to heaven, we are supposed to grow up. Oh, somebody help me preach. I read of a youth group, Brother Ralston, um, who chose this motto and they painted on the wall of their youth room. It was simply this, keep the faith, baby, not the baby faith. Hello. Huh? Keep the faith, baby, but not the baby faith. I like the message of that motto because God's goal for every one of us is to walk a path of consistent growth. And this morning we talked about being connected to fellow believers, how interlocking our roots will keep us strong. But not only should we be connected, secondly, we should be perfected. 1 John 2, 5 tells us, let me read it, whosoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. Now, of course, this word perfected is, it scares people sometimes these days. I can hear somebody say, Pastor, please, please don't tell me that God expects perfection because I am just too flawed, I'm too foolish, there's no way I can be perfect. Well, don't panic. Take a deep breath because how many know God knows we're flawed better than we do? That's why I love Psalm 103:14. It says, God knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. Did you get that? He remembers that we are, hey, we accomplish a thing or two in life and we start thinking, hmm, we're something. 
but God never forgets. We're just dust. Huh? And as long as we occupy fallen bodies, we're prone at times to have sinful slip-ups, and I'm not excusing them. I believe uh, we should take this seriously. But the terms perfect and perfect, they have the same spelling, but how many know they have different definitions? Hmm? No, we may never be perfect but God wants each of us involved in a process of being perfected. And the word perfect means to complete. It means to finish. Oh, I, I really believe God started some things at Camp Blessing. I believe it's evident. And how many know God hasn't started His work in us to let it go dormant? How I many know he hasn't started his work in us just to turn and walk away and abandon it? No, he wants us to mature and become useful to his kingdom because his goal is to work in us to perfect what he started. It's been said God judges a person not by the point he's reached, but by the way he's facing, not by distance but by direction. See, none of us may ever, you know, may be perfect as, as you say that word, but we are in the process of being perfected. Before Paul visited the Thessalonians, he explained the purpose of his coming in his letter. In 1 Thessalonians 3.10, he said it was to perfect what was lacking in their faith. Paul wanted to see God complete what he had started. Maybe round off some rough edges, fill in some missing spaces, and help them fully fulfill what God intended them to be. Listen, it's been said Christians should not, be only, should not only be counted, but they should also be weighed. In other words, we can pack the church with people, but in and of itself, how many know that's not a big deal? How many know the World Wrestling Federation can draw a crowd? Even a new Walmart gets plenty of walk-ups, right? But the purpose of our church and all churches, for that matter, is, is, isn't just to attract walk-ups. It's to turn walk-ups into grown-ups, right? Oh, come on. First connected and then perfected because there's a National Geographic's uh, uh, film that gives the footage of the, I believe it was an Alaskan bull moose. And it shows all the male sparring that goes on during the fall breeding season. And, and the male bulls, they just butt heads continually uh, over and over hoping to prove their dominance. They keep crashing their antlers until one set weakens and breaks. The moose with the bulkiest body and the strongest antlers prevail. But the battle is actually won, not in the fall breeding season, but how many know it's won in the spring and in the summer? Because the heftiest body and stoutest antlers belong to the moose that has the healthiest diet right? 
Preparation and growth in the spring and summer is what determines victory or defeat come the autumn season. The same, I read that, I said the same is true for us. When we live the Christian life, brother, we can be sure battles will come. That's a given. But victory or defeat isn't determined in the moment of the battle. It's being determined when? Right now. Right now. If we're obstinate and we're stubborn and we refuse to do the things necessary to grow that Psalm 1 lays out, then we shouldn't be surprised when we're defeated. Right? Spiritual growth and enduring faith are best developed before they are needed. Right? How many can say, I'm in that process of perfecting my faith? Oh, I hope you are, because Psalm 1 provides us a diagram for this spiritual growth. First of all, I want to look at this. First of all, the blessed person's growth is intentional. Second, the blessed person's growth is behavioral. Thirdly, his growth is devotional. It says he meditates. And fourth, it's habitual. He says, day and night. If you're taking notes, spiritual growth from Psalm 1 is intentional, behavioral, devotional, and habitual. Now I want to go back to the first. Spiritual growth, we said, is intentional. How many came to Christ and you did so by making a decision? Raise your hand. How many made a decision? Sure, every one of us. Becoming a follower, a disciple, begins with a decision. No one grows by osmosis. You don't become spiritual just by hanging out with spiritual people. It can help. Influence is, is, is important. Like I said this morning, association is important. But when it comes, listen, you don't develop a biblical mindset by just carrying a Bible under your arm. Hello? Hmm? We certainly don't become more godly just by merely surrounding ourselves with the things of God. For example, Haggai chapter 2, the prophet Haggai asked the priests of Israel. He kind of paints this scenario. For, for example, if one carries around sanctified meat, meat that was to be used for the temple, if, if the priest was to take that meat, put it in his pocket, and with the edge of his garment touches bread or wine or oil or any food product, he said, will it become holy? And according to the law of Moses, the answer to that question is no. Because godliness and spirituality is non-transferable. Just because mom and dad and grandma and grandpa, hello, doesn't mean it's automatic. 
No, it's not contagious in that sense. But then Haggai asked, he said, if one who's unclean because he's touched a dead body, he says, if he was to touch any of these things that we just mentioned, would they then become unclean? And the answer was yes, it will become unclean. In other words, what the point is, sin is a communicable disease. Evil is contagious. It rubs off on those who linger around it. Sin is transferable, but not godliness. You don't become holy by touching someone or something that's holy. Spiritual growth is a personal decision. You've got to be intentional. It's not something you stumble into or onto. It's a choice you make. And Psalm 1 says to the blessed man, his delight, that's a choice he's made, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And that word delight means to take pleasure. It means I find my joy. It's, it's similar to the term rejoice in Scripture. To rejoice in the Lord is to take our joy from God, to get our joy, to find our joy in God. Now, how many know there's numerous sources from which people in our our culture try to draw their joy hmm? from the bottle to the Bible, from the TV to the bended knee, from the world's glamour to God's glory. Listen, but to delight is to decide to depend on Christ to fuel all of my happiness and shape all of my expectations. Him and only Him. I'm making a commitment to be all that I can be for Jesus because Jesus gave His all for me. I don't know if I can do that, Pastor. I remember reading about a Sunday school teacher. She uh, taught a kindergarten class, and she said one Sunday, boys and girls, what do you want to be when you grow up? And a little boy over here said a fireman, another one said a doctor, another one said a race car driver, and on and on it went. And the teacher noticed little Bobby, and he was quiet. And she asked Bobby, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, Possible. And she said, possible? What do you mean possible? And Bobby replied, he said, my mom is always calling me impossible. So when I grow up, I want to be possible. How many know it is possible that one day every child of God can grow up into... Be huh? You can build with a triumphant faith. You can be a dynamic, effective witness for God. It is possible. Yeah. We can grow up to be a possible if we choose to grow and obey Psalm 1. Do you know in 1523, British animal trainer John Fitzerbert, he made this statement, and I quote, this all the way back in 1523. And I quote, he said, The dog must be trained when he is a puppy, or else it will not be, for it is hard to make an old dog find a new scent. John Fitzbert's quote morphed into the proverb that we still use today. This simply is, 
You can't teach an old dog new tricks. So all the way back in 1523 is the origin of that. But I want to ask you tonight, but can you? Is that old saying truth or myth? In media, there's a program called Mythbusters, and they tackle that very idea. They take a pair of aging Alaskan Malamutes. They name them Bobo and Cece. These, these two dogs were seven years old, which how many know that's about 50 in dog years? Neither of those dogs had been trained, yet in four days, the Mythbusters trainer had taught both of those dogs to sit, lie down, stay, shake, and heal, proving once and for all, you can teach old dogs new tricks. But how many know if you've read the Bible, you already knew that? Because our God is a God that says, is there anything too hard for me? Hmm? If you've read the Bible, you already know that change is possible because with God, all things are possible. There is freedom from sin. There's freedom from addictive behavior. We can grow. We can live sanctified, holy lives uh, thanks to the grace of God. We're not destined to be stuck in our habitual rut forever. Spiritual growth is possible, but it is intentional. you got to make a decision. I'm going to keep what I got at camp. Hello. I'm not going to let it expire in two weeks. Everything in nature grows to its maximum potential. Trees, bushes, fruit, grass. Life is relentless, but there's one exception. There's one living thing that may or may not grow to its potential, and that is people. Because people have to make a choice. And sadly, we can choose to be less than what God desires for us. Right? That is why spiritual growth is intentional. Next, it is behavioral. The blessed man, it says, delights in the law. What is it? The law of the Lord. That phrase, law of the Lord, is a reference to Scripture, but with a definite emphasis. In other words, he values the wisdom of the Lord. The blessed man values the power of the Lord. He values the glory of the Lord. But he delights in the law of the Lord. What are you saying? I'm saying laws deal with behavior, right? Laws restrict or encourage certain behavior. And this is how we start to grow spiritually. It's very practical. We ask God what he wants us to do, how he wants us to think, how he wants us to dress, and then we do it. 
Step by step, we synchronize how we live with what he says. Faith that grows is faith that goes by what God has said. And when some people think of becoming more spiritual, they assume it's going to be some more mystical or emotional or get in touch with their own thoughts and feelings. Listen, they imagine some spine-tingling experience or a goosebump moment or a mountaintop high, but real spiritual growth is far more down to earth. Yes, it's great to shout at camp, and I was right there with you, but listen, it begins when you hear God's Word and you apply it to your life. Because real spiritual progress is applicational. But pastor, that's too hard. Most of the time I don't feel like obeying. I don't feel like applying the scriptures. And sometimes I don't even feel like reading the Bible. And and I start to read and then I don't understand. And then I get bored with it. Sure you do. Change never comes easy. Hello, say you decide it's time to clean up your diet. You start eliminating the junk food. You're going to eat healthier. All right, but don't expect a seamless transition from bacon cheeseburgers to broccoli. It's going to take time to cultivate new tastes. Uh, I'm actually embarrassed to admit it in public, uh, but over the last few years, I've cultivated a taste for asparagus. As long as it's grilled with lots of bacon wrapped around it. Uh, Yeah. But here's my point. It took time. Mm, That old slimy stuff. Mom used to make it. She didn't put bacon around it. I've said it before, but it's true. It's easier to act your way into a feeling than it is to feel your way into an action. If you are on, listen, if you only pray or study the word or serve at church or worship the Lord when you feel like it, it's not going to get done very often. Listen, I'm a pastor and I know it's true for me. But I may not feel like it, but if I'm determined to set out and do it anyway, feelings will eventually follow. Uh, over time, I'm going to cultivate a desire. I'm going to cultivate a taste. Uh, I'm going to... Mm, a craving for the stuff that's good and the stuff that's godly. Uh, Listen, there's a false perception among some believers uh, that spiritual growth is measured by biblical knowledge. Uh, Religious people assume the more Bible I know, then the more I'm going to grow. But that's not always the case. Uh, Certainly the Bible is essential to spiritual growth. Uh, Without God's Word, we lack the proper nutrients for growth. Uh, But just adding, reading the Bible without applying the Bible to my behavior, to live it out in my lifestyle is of little value. Where's Brandon at? Brandon, where are you? Come here, would you help me? Would you mind helping me for a minute? I don't want you to say anything. I want you to just do what I say. All right. Just stand and see. You can have a seat. A bodybuilder. Yeah, you got it. He's got it. 
once appeared, true story, on a TV talk show. The host asked him, why did you develop those particular muscles? And he gets up out of his chair and he flexes. The muscles ripped from his chest down to his calves. The crowd was impressed. They cheered wildly. Well, I don't hear that. So the host again asked, true story, as he sits down, what do you use those muscles to do? Once more, he just gets up, bulges his biceps. Again, the audience roars. Hey, now they're catching on. A third time. The host asks, but what is it that you do, sir, that requires you to need such massive muscles? He never answers. He just stands and flexes his muscles again. Showing that his muscles were more for flexing than for using. Sadly, the same can be said for many believers' knowledge of the Bible. They know a lot, but they don't live what they know. It doesn't impact their daily existence. That's why our Lord's brother in James 1.22 said, Be ye doers of the word, not just hearers only. Hebrews 5.14 describes those who are of full age or mature as those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Listen, spiritual growth is like physical growth. If all you do is eat and eat and eat, you're only going to get fat and flabby. It's exercise that turns the calories into muscles and likewise we grow spiritually when we apply what we've learned. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And here in, in Ephesians 5.8, it says, For we were sometimes in darkness, but now are in the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light. In other words, let it affect your behavior. Give Brother Brandon a hand. Thank you for helping me, bro. Did a great job. When I need muscles, I know on who to call. Thirdly, real spiritual growth is not only behavioral, it's devotional. How many know we cannot grow in the Lord without spending time with the Lord? And the blessed person, it says, delights in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate. Listen, how many know biblical meditation is a form of prayer? where we read God's Word, and then we speak it back to Him. It's trusting Him to shine a greater light on what we've just read. It's like rolling that passage over and over in our minds. The Spirit reveals an application of what we've read, and we can apply it to our heart and to our life. Biblical meditation is a far cry from the Eastern meditation. Rather than put your mind in neutral and rely on some chant or some ritual, the believer engages the mind, and he or she opens the heart and begins to mull over or meditate on what God has just said 
and ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten my understanding with wisdom and revelation. Rather than bypass our intellect, the Holy Spirit uses the existing hardware we have to help us grasp the message God is trying to communicate. Remember in the Gospels how often Christ took time out of his busy ministry schedule to spend time alone with his Father. Listen, well, if he took that time, how much more do we need to take that time? I said, I need to schedule that time. Real growth is devotional. Finally, spiritual growth will be habitual. I want you to see this. If you look in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 22, Moses told Israel to go in and possess the promised land. And he promised in Deuteronomy 7.22, said, the Lord thy God will put out those nations before thee, talking about the pagan nations, all the ites, put out the nations before thee. Notice how he was going to do it. Little and little, which would come to us in our more modern English jargon as little by little. He's going to expel the pagan nations out of, out of uh, Canaan little by little, which show us total victory did not occur overnight. Right? Progress came in increments. It was a step here. It was a victory here. It was a victory there. And little by little, over time, Israel would then take more and more control of the land. And this is also how we grow spiritually. It takes time. It's simply one step at a time. Praise God. And the progress is measured over months, perhaps years, not just days. Our growth, how many know you found out spiritual growth is a marathon, it's not a sprint? We're progressing continually. And only after months or years do you realize the progress you've actually made. Hmm? I read about a snail who was inching his way down the center of the street when he was ran over by a turtle. The paramedics arrived and they asked, what happened? And the snail replied, I just don't know, it happened all too fast. How many know often we get impatient? Spiritual growth seems oh so slow. I want to tell somebody, hang in there. You're making progress. This is why the author of Psalms says, Blessed, the blessed man meditates day and night. He builds spiritual habits into his lifestyle. He sticks with them. At breakfast, he starts his day. Maybe it's with a bowl of Wheaties. I don't know. That's the breakfast of champions, right? But, but he also begins it with a chapter of the Word of God. 
At night, before his head hits the pillow, his knees hits the floor. At the bookends of his life, day and night, and everywhere in between, he cultivates habits that help him grow closer to God. Amen. And you don't measure the impact of those habits after just a day and a night, do you? It's day and night, day and night, day and night. It's stringing together months and then years. That's when you see the impact. The true benefit of, of spiritual habits gets appreciated over time. One day you wake up and realize, thank God I'm not the person I used to be. Anybody in the house that can say that? Anybody can testify, thank God for His grace. I am not the person I used to be. I am better. I am more godly. I am believing more. I am showing faith more. I have grown. Hallelujah. It didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen just in one week of youth camp. No, I might have got it started in youth camp, but it's going to grow. Why? Because God's not finished with me yet. And day and night and day and night, I'm going to... Praise God. It takes time. Don't get impatient. Before James Garfield was elected president of our United States, he was chancellor of the Hiram College, which is just about an hour from here. A friend of... Garfield's, whose son was enrolled in the school that Garfield was the chancellor of there, Hiram College, asked him one day if there was any way that James Garfield, as the chancellor of the school, could speed up his son's education. And Garfield replied and said, sure. But he said, it all depends on what you want to make of your son. He said, sir, when God makes an oak tree, he requires a hundred years. When he produces a squash, he only takes two months. Hmm? Which do you want? Huh? Listen, a tree grows, but it doesn't go from a seedling to an oak overnight. It takes time. It takes consistency. And that's why spiritual growth is habitual. It's day and night. It's making long-term commitments and then following through with it and sticking with it. Perhaps you've heard of the 21-day rule. I, I heard about it several years ago. Supposedly, it takes 21 days for a new activity to become a habit in your life. Now, I don't know how true that is. I don't know if it's 21 days, 51 days, or 101 days. But the point is simply this. Don't give up in just one week you got to stick with it. You don't reap a crop of corn the day after you sow the seed. You water, you weed, and you wait. And this year, the, the same is true in your spiritual life. The growth and character and integrity that God desires to produce in us, produce in us doesn't come just from dabbling. No, it's a, it's a result of putting your hand to the plow and not looking back. Amen? Blaise Pascal once said it well. He said, and I quote, the strength of a man's virtue is measured by his habitual acts. God wants you and he wants me 
to be a tree. Spiritual roots that are positioned properly. Shoots that are progressing continually. And fruits that are producing annually. It says, Jones, you can come. I'm closing. Hallelujah. A group of tourists, not terrorists, tourists, were, was touring the European countryside some years ago. And the passengers on this particular tour bus had really taken an interest in the hometowns, seeing all the hometowns of where famous people were, where they lived throughout the European countryside. And as they drove through one village there in Europe, that one of the tourists hung his head out the window and, and asked one of the locals as they were at a crossroads, asked him, said, were there any great men born in this village? And the fellow answered, he said, nope, only babies. <laughs> Here's the lesson for us, great men and women of God, heroes of faith, they are not born, they are made. They are people who made spiritual growth their goal. They sunk their roots in the right place by the resource, the living waters. They realize that growing in Christ is more important than your career. They realized that growing in Christ was more important than a hobby or money or sports. They realized that spiritual growth is intentional, behavioral, devotional, and habitual. And the blessed person knows that a growing life becomes a fruitful life. How many want to bear fruit for the Lord? How many in the house want to take somebody to heaven with you when you go? Stand with me. If you do, you've got to sink your root so you can show your fruit. Was it the gospel artist Candy Hemphill many years ago? I know, I know. Back in the 80s, was it? Made that song popular that says, He's still working on me. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and stars. The sun, the earth, Jupiter and Mars. How loving and how patient he must be because he's still working on me. One of the verses says, there really ought to be a sign up on my heart. Don't judge me yet. There's an unfinished part. But I'll be better just according to his plan. How many know this is his plan? Fashioned by the master's loving hand. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Took him just a week to make the moon and stars, sun and the earth. Oh, how loving. 
even after camp, is he still working? Or did he say, okay, camp's over, you're done. No. Sing it. Oh, you raised the key, didn't you? Well, that was good. I was in the basement. We don't even have a basement. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. I'll sing it. Oh, how about it, church? You want him to keep working on you? How many know his office, his workplace is right around the altars? Why don't you come, take a few moments and say, Lord, help me. I want to grow. I want to, I want to be in the position to be that blessed person.